0: The city, like a hive, is teeming with life. People crawl over it like insects or parasites. It's a place you can thrive or die in a ditch, where you can step on the poor to get slightly more rich. When the mountains are flat and the seas are dry, the towers will stand, stabbing the sky. As long as there is freedom and people in chains, Humanity dies. Fridos remains. A slow clapping was all that breached the tension. Lillian had to crane her head slightly to look past a scrawny man with a pointy beard so that she could confirm that it was indeed Breed who was applauding. The scrawny man moved aside and put his small knife back into his coat pocket. A few others moved as well. Everyone had stood to protect their mistress, but no one wanted to block her view. Breed stopped clapping and stood up. Because he has us, she parroted back to Lillian. (laughs) I love that. So sweet. And who are you supposed to be, hmm? A hayseed blown in from the hills and her pet, what even is that, a dog? She shot a glance back to Jack Havens, who shrugged. Well, whatever it is, it's drooling on my carpet. In fact, Breed paused to move more of her personal guard out of her way. She came out of the circle of chairs to get a better look at Fritha. Most eyes followed her. Some stayed fixed on the feignhound. Yes, said Breed. I think this thing would make a fine carpet in its own right. What do you think, Lillian Lausanne? Take away the drool, of course. Now it was Mr Atikop's turn to feel tense. He had been proud of Lillian and Freethur stepping forward and holding their nerve so far. Had Breed been any less of an experienced criminal, he thought, she would have wet her breeches like the rest of her entourage. But she was clever; she knew that they were here for more than just a messy apartment. They were here to avenge a wrong, and Breed was about to pick at the very scar Lilian was attempting to heal. He resolved to say nothing. Lillian had to learn at some point. This could be a valuable teaching moment. How about that, Lillian Lausanne? Shall we see if it keeps its colours once the coat is off its bones? Maybe your friend Twitchit can help us. That's right. Breed noticed the flick of Lillian's eyes. They betrayed her shock. What? You don't think I walk past a little girl with an animal the size of a jungle cat in my city and not ask questions? Mr Atcop began to wonder if this particular lesson might be taught better in a classroom. Lillian had flinched, but she had not yet cracked. She could go a little more, he thought. Let's get Twitchy in here and let him have a poke at Big Chops, or... I could just do it myself. Breed pulled out a small knife. She flicked it quickly round her fingers like it wasn't a separate thing, rather an extension of herself, like an extra, extremely dangerous finger. Mr. Atikop had picked up on Lillian's heavy breathing and elevated heart rate. Just a little longer, he thought, willing her to see what Breed was doing. She was trying to get a reaction. She was trying to break her. Was the knife going to do it? Mr. Attercup reached for his vial of lunar essence, feeling its cold, familiar touch in the folds of his cloak sleeve. Or maybe, Breed was relentless, maybe I'll make you do it. You come from some dirty little farm, I'm sure. Did they teach you how to skin animals? where you grew up? Or were mummy and daddy too busy not caring about you and sending you to cities with strange old men? Reed was close to Lillian now. Within Lillian's area of attack, for sure, thought Mr Atikop. Why don't you get out and leave the grown-ups to do the talking? Because if I have to look at that horrible red hair for one more second, I think I'm going to be sick. There was a silence. Lillian stayed put, seemingly waiting for something. Did you hear me, Hayseed? Get out or I'll gut your cat. Lillian kept her cool, turned slowly to breed, smiled softly and spoke. For someone with so little information, you really talk a lot, Mr Atikop breathed a small sigh of relief. It wasn't quite the witty retort that would calm the room and get them a name at no price, but it wasn't too antagonising and did enforce her position of strength. But Lillian's training could only take her so far at this stage. Mr Atikop moved to speak. "'Here,' he said, "'we found this at the scene.'" He'd bypassed the vial and reached instead for one of the silver hand brooches. It clunked heavily onto the floor between Lillian and Breed. Breed looked at him as if he had interrupted her having dinner. She glanced down, picked up the brooch and studied it for a moment before curling her lip in disinterest. She looked back up at Mr Atikop with a So what? expression, one eyebrow expertly raised. No games. Taziel, you know what it is and you know that Markor makes them in his back room. All we want is the name of the person who carried it into my attic and left it there for me to find. Breed was suddenly struck by something funny. She giggled a strange and high-pitched laugh and walked back to her armchair. Some others laughed too. Whether they were in on the joke or not, Mr. Atikop did not care. You really are in need of information, chuckled Breed. Either that or markhor has been running his mouth off again. This isn't a Markhor brooch. Far too detailed. This is one of those horrible, noble smith jobs. You can see the joins quite plainly and there's no signet. Markor always leaves that annoying little star on his work. She made to throw it back to Mr Atikop but released it too soon and it hurtled towards Lillian. Luckily, Lillian was ready and caught it before it struck her in the face. Whoops, said Breed and the room laughed once more. Lillian looked as if she was ready to take a life and Mr Atticop judged that it was time to leave. Very well, I suppose we should be off. Maybe someone else knows more than you. They turned their backs and made for the door. Breed shouted after them. ''Come back when you've got something valuable and you'll see how much I know.'' Lillian held the door for Fretha to step through and followed Mr Atikop down the series of rooms they had walked through. Breed could still be heard, her voice fading into the distance. ''I know who hurt her. I know your stupid dog nearly died and that you're out for revenge.'' You're better than that, Cromwell, you sorry old coot. Lillian looked up at her friend. She half expected him to be fuming with anger, just like she was, but he was smiling. A while later, Lillian was sitting with Mr Atakop, Fritha and Catherine. The four of them had found a booth in a Ziedmont inn called The Vine. It was a quiet place that was enjoyed by the older citizens of Friedos. Fritha was in the corner being fussed over by a pair of older women, keeping a watchful eye on their unfinished plates. The inn had red painted walls, leather chairs and only served wine. Lillian was in the middle of lamenting their failure when Mr. Atikop interrupted her. That doesn't matter. Isn't that the whole reason you went in there? Catherine was struggling to keep her voice down. She had been against seeing Breed from the start. Sort of. Mr. Atkop took another sip of wine. Yes, we want to know who hurt Fritha, but they were never going to give something like that up without a very hefty price attached to it. Catherine didn't understand, but Lillian did. We went in with a clear goal. Mr Atikop asked about the culprit, but all we wanted was the name of the blacksmith. And we got it for free. Mr Atkop leaned back in his chair. The leather squeaked and he smiled a wide grin. Well, we didn't exactly get a name, Lillian reproached. Mr Atkop shook his head, but didn't look disheartened. A noble smith, that's what she said, and that's more than enough information considering the price we paid to get it. Lillian laughed and glanced at Catherine. She had her arms crossed and was rolling her eyes. You two think you're so clever. Now she's got you on her list. Mark my words, she'll have her eye on you two. Lillian had not thought of that, but a sudden memory made her relax a little. She had already been watching us. She knew all about me and Mr. Twitchett and Mr. Atikop's break-in. It's more information than we've had all week and I... Lillian forced herself to look into Catherine's disappointed eyes. I think it was worth the risk. Mr. Atkop was still smiling. Lillian played her part to perfection. I must admit I was worried Breed would see straight through me, but I think Lillian and Fritha threw off her judgement. Catherine sighed and shrugged. Well then, clever wigs, how are you going to find a noble blacksmith, especially when no such thing exists? There are a few of the nobility that dally in smithing as a hobby, mostly jewellery but occasionally weapons. No one would own up to it outright, of course. We're going to have to find them. Catherine shot him an I-told-you-so face and beckoned for Fretha to come back and stop bothering an old man about his soup. Mr Atkop looked down at his drink, as if trying to find the answers in the swirling crimson pool. Everything leaves a mark. A smell. A sound. Nothing is made without destruction of some kind. And destruction creates noise. He looked at Lillian and his expression grew serious. Fortunately, he said, we have someone on our team who is an exceptionally good listener. One surprising thing about the city is that people don't like it when you sit on the floor. Lillian had found this out the hard way over the last two days. As soon as she went anywhere near the noble quarter at the top of the hill and sat down to try and focus, she would be interrupted. The first time was by a man who was coming out of his house. He seemed nice enough, but asked Lillian to move as apparently he had people coming round. The next interruption was less friendly. A couple of Werdian officers kicked her in the shin as she was extending her senses into a basement nearby. They told her that beggars were not allowed in this quarter of the city and made sure she was far away before moving on with their patrol. Lillian had hoped that if she found a spot near to the wall that separated the palace court, she could focus and listen in to what was happening beyond her normal reach. Currently she was sitting on a rooftop overlooking the palace gate. There were the homes of the Empress's favourite families beyond the wall as well as the palace itself. Lillian was looking at it now. It had sheer walls of white stone, peppered by the occasional grey vein. Every detail was gilded with gold and jade gargoyles looked out menacingly from the roof. It had been a church once, Lillian had been told, but it had since been repurposed. The houses beyond the wall were no less impressive. Each one was painted in the Empress's family colours of pink, green, and white. Even the flowers on the wooden window sills did not stray from the colour scheme. Lillian had to be careful up here, so as a precaution before scaling the building, she had practised gloaming with one of Fritha's hairs. She had taken to keeping four or five of them in a small handkerchief in her pocket. Just one fresh hair was enough to keep her invisible for about 20 minutes. Hopefully that would be enough time to divine something useful. Lillian shut her eyes and took a deep breath. The city shifted from bright colours and thatched roofs into a world of calm darkness. The occasional noise from the streets below created tiny lights that Lillian could gravitate towards in the gloom. One group of lights illuminated a conversation between two guards. Another one revealed a family of cats living under a set of wooden steps. Lillian explored the darkness for some time, hunting for anything that might stand out. There was the smell of cooking four houses away that was rather distracting, not to mention the argument happening in one of the palace court homes. Lillian could not quite make out the words, but they were heated enough to burn brightly against the dark. She was busy listening to a man in his bathroom practising a speech when something caught her attention. It was a sound, like a bell ringing in the distance. Lillian was reminded of the Stava Church bowl bells sounding out across the mountains. This was faint though, very faint. Lillian was so busy trying to figure out what it was that she almost forgot to find its source. There was some trouble here. No matter what Lillian did, she could not place the bell. Perhaps it was this that had made it stand out to her in the first place. It was certainly coming from beyond the wall, but Lillian, for the life of her, could not find its source. She listened. The bell rang a few more times. And, just as quickly as it had started, it stopped. Lillian listened and listened and listened. But there was nothing. A few days later, Lillian couldn't still shake the sound of it. It was like a puzzle, except she only had one piece and no conception of the picture it could fit in. She had briefly seen Mr Atikop the night before and had conveniently forgotten to mention it. She didn't want to bother him with something that could be nothing. Fritha licked her hand and shook her out of the daydream. She could still vividly see the sound echoing through the silent gloom like the ripple of a pebble on a dark lake. But no matter how hard she focused, she could not place its centre. Like trying to find somewhere in a dream. She snapped back to reality and looked at the clean, empty window display case in front of her. The rag in her hand was black with dust and as she absent-mindedly wiped sweat off her face she left a large grey stain on her cheek. "'All done!' she shouted back to Mr. Twitchit. "'Oh, good!' she heard him say as he shuffled out of the back room. He looked up through his bushy eyebrows and admired the work. "'Splendid! Thank you, Lillian, and thank you, Fritabella. He reached down and stroked Fritha's bright blue head. What's going there? Lillian pointed to the empty central podium in the window. There had previously been a rather fierce-looking ferret, bleached in places by the sun, but it had recently been sold. I have something in the basement that will be just right. Lillian was confused. Basement? she asked, looking around for a trapdoor she must have missed. Not here, replied Mr. Twitchett. It's down the road, part of the deal that came with the place. I rarely use it because it's too far. He reached for his cloak as he spoke and gestured for Lillian to do the same. The cellar in question was only ten minutes away and that was going at Mr. Twitchard's pace. Lillian reckoned she could have made it in three or four minutes. He led them down a side street and towards some dull, rust-coloured walls. Mr. Twitchit took a key from his pocket and opened an iron door. It creaked on its hinges and was apparently the entrance to some sort of stables. The space was big and dark and smelled of hay. Lillian was about to ask why it was empty, but when she looked over at Mr. Twitchit, the answer was obvious. The ceiling had been built far too low. Lillian was still growing, so she missed it at first but the practicality of running a business or a home in such a cramped space was ridiculous. Mr. Twitchit moved slowly over to the back of the space and gestured behind him to the barred windows. I don't keep anything in here because you can see it from the street, he bent down and gestured to Lillian to come over. Would you mind? Just let me unlock it and then grab that handle. He pointed to an iron bar that was slotted into the wood. Mr. Twitchit fiddled for a few seconds with the key to what appeared to be a large trapdoor, half buried in the floor. Lillian was sure she hadn't noticed it coming in. Mr. Twitchit cursed the darkness under his breath, as the third key he tried still brought no joy. Fritha must have sensed his frustration. In the dim light, she shifted her coat into a luminous bluish-white. Both Lillian and Mr. Twitchit stopped to marvel at it before getting back to the task at hand. Good lady, Lillian whispered in Fretha's ear as she touched the glowing fur on her neck. With the resounding click, the lock was bested and Lillian helped Mr. Twitchit to lift the heavy lid out of the floor. It revealed a set of wooden steps leading down into pitch black. Lillian might have been scared if she wasn't with someone who knew the place well. Fearless Fritha was the first to plunge into the depths, and luckily she could illuminate the way for the others. Lillian stepped through slowly and held on to the flimsy rope for balance. The steps curved round to the left, and after climbing down only a few, Lillian saw the space beneath Fritha's shining form was smaller due to the distance, but she still managed to light the entire room. It was a big room with an appropriate ceiling wooden floorboards and even dusty chandeliers. This is amazing! Lillian's voice echoed off the walls, which she noticed were panelled with painted wood. Green, perhaps? It was hard to tell in the bluish haze. Fritha's light quickly winked out and then reappeared in the corner of Lillian's eye. She turned to see that Fritha had just passed behind a large object. It had grey sheets draped over it. Lillian walked towards it. Fritha was sniffing at the hem of the sheet, curious to discover what was underneath. Lillian started to gently remove the sheet. Careful, it's very old, Mr Twitchit warned her. He was halfway between the object and the steps by now. Lillian lifted the sheet up some more, peeked underneath and gasped. Half an hour later, Mr. Twitchit was stepping back from his shop window to admire the new display. Lillian, who had been straightening it under his direction, stepped out of the shop and turned around. The sight of a ferocious lynx greeted her. It was perched on top of a series of plaster-cast rocks, its ears flat and teeth bared for the pounce. Its realistic yellow glass eyes were fixated on another animal directly beneath it, mounted on the same display. This animal was a fox. From this angle, it looked frightened of the large and terrifying cat in front of it, but when Lillian was placing it, she saw that the fox actually looked just as, if not more fierce, than the cat. Mr Twitchit was beaming with its placement. What do you think? It's a little... Lillian thought for a second. It's all right, Mr. Twitchit reassured her. You can say it. It's gruesome. Mr. Twitchit was laughing. I made it years and years ago, when I was young and desperate to impress. These days I prefer a little more coyness and subtlety in the looks. Lillian nodded. I was going to say, it is a bit more aggressive than the usual displays. Ah, but that's the thing. What with the Empress's animal being the lynx, I thought this might throw any attention off me for associating with that revolutionary fellow. Lillian smiled. If anything shouted pro-Empress Sylvia, it was this. The lynx stood fierce and proud, and since foxes were notorious city vermin, well, it wasn't exactly subtle. Suddenly, Lillian had a thought. Mr. Twitchit, hmm? I was wondering, do you ever rent out that basement? Mr. Twitchit was pretending to walk past his own shop window, getting a buyer's view, as he called it. Oh, goodness, no, he said. Horrible, dark little place. Who would want it? Lillian smiled. I can think of someone. The pace of events began to quicken. Mr Atticop, unsure at first of the dingy basement, quickly came around to the idea of moving in once he heard what Mr Twitchit would charge for rent. With Lillian's help, they managed to clean the place, which led to some interesting discoveries. The first was that natural light did reach the basement. It was just behind some very grimy grates, and the second was that there was a small door at the back of the space, which was locked. They tried every key on Mr Twitchit's chain, but none of them fit. Mr Atticop was about to try kicking the door in when he realised that there were probably more important matters to be getting on with. There was sweeping, mopping, wall washing, decorating, bringing in furniture, setting up tables and just generally making the basement not seem like a forgotten old hole in the ground. Fritha tried helping whenever she could, but she generally just got in the way. The effort took several days, during which they unfortunately had to put their avenging to one side. Lillian did mention the ringing to Mr Atikop during a break between moving bookshelves. He had asked a few questions which Lillian could not answer and finally said that he would think on what it meant. As you say, it could be nothing, but even so, We know it's coming from beyond the palace court walls and if that is our best lead then we need to start thinking about getting beyond them. He looked around the sparse but improving room, looking for inspiration perhaps. I don't suppose you ever go through the gates for Twitchit's deliveries? Lillian shook her head. I always have to give my parcel to a guard at the gate and tell him who it's for. Every delivery does. Mr Atkop nodded and both of them fell into thought whilst watching Fritha try to eat a mop. The answer to their question came the very next day when Catherine dropped by to look at the new basement. "It's perfect!" she exclaimed, dropping her bag by the entrance and stepping onto the newly laid carpet. "It will do," Mr Atcock spoke in a dissatisfied mumble, but Lillian knew that he was proud of it too. Come and look at the painting, said Lillian, ushering Catherine to the west wall where she had hung a small painting of a regal-looking fox. Oh, that's lovely, said Catherine, and she put her arm around Lillian and squeezed it. Now, who wants a pastry? Catherine looked back at her bag and Lillian ran to get it. The three of them were sitting moments later chewing the sweet cakes that Catherine had bought them. It's madness up there, said Catherine with a mouthful of cake, gesturing above her. What do you mean? asked Lillian. Oh, it's three days until the summer ball, so everyone is buying fabric and dresses. She waved her hand absently, as if to dismiss the whole business. Lillian stopped chewing her cake and looked at Mr. Atticop. Mr. Atticop looked at Lillian. Fretha looked at Lillian's cake. Catherine? Lillian began, turning back to look at her friend. "'Where is the summer ball held?' Catherine licked a crumb from her lip and looked at them both. "'Why, the palace. It's one of the three big parties of the year. I've never been invited, but the lady of the house where I work has been four times.' Catherine raised her eyebrows. Lillian got the impression she was supposed to be impressed— She opened her eyes wide and Catherine was glad at the acknowledgement. What does one need to get into this... party? Mr Atkop spoke calmly. Catherine rolled her eyes. It's not a party. That makes it sound like a child's birthday. It's the Summer Ball. The Empress sends the invites out herself and you need to show it at the door to get in. Lillian slumped in her chair. The sparks of an idea had been struck in her mind, but any flame had been quickly snuffed out. Mr Atticop, apparently not disheartened, leaned forward and pressed Catherine on the issue. How did your lady get an invitation? She does good work for the poor of the city. Sometimes, if she completes a major project, she'll get recognised by the state. Her invitations came on really good years. What kind of work does she do? asked Lillian. She raises money for the poor of the city. She takes from the rich and gives it to the poor in the form of housing or schools. Mr Atkop made a quick tutting sound. He did this whenever he heard something he disapproved of. You mean she takes rich people's money and then makes deals with builders so that they can share it all out amongst more rich people? Catherine shot him an angry look. Perhaps... But the homes do get built, she paused, doubting herself. Occasionally. Lillian wanted to get back on track. When did these invitations go out, she asked. Oh, they haven't yet. Lillian sat up. Oh, that's the best bit, continued Catherine. They go out the night before. It's an old tradition. It started because the fourth emperor apparently couldn't decide who to invite to his birthday, So his wife, the night before, sent out secret invites to everyone she knew who would make the best party guests. And she must have got it right, because the Empress still does that today. The story was met once again with a tutting from Mr Atikop, combined with an overly affected eye-roll. That may or may not be true, but that's not why she does it. You've already told us that. He pointed upwards. You said so yourself, that it's madness up there. Every noble, or even people that can only sniff a noble's armpit as he walks past, is out there buying things. If you don't tell people who is invited, then everyone has to assume they are, or else you might have some reason to be out of the Empress's favour. To assume you're going is to assume you're liked. And so you go out and buy the latest style gown or you make your own with some materials from the markets. He popped his last piece of cake in his mouth and was done talking. Catherine looked at Lillian. Seven stars? How long did you have to travel with misery man over here? Lillian laughed. Anyway, what's with all the interest in the ball? Lillian shrugged and went back to her cake. We need to get into the palace court somehow. Catherine coughed a little. And you thought you could get into the ball? Not necessarily as a guest, perhaps a servant or waiter. Catherine shook her head. That's even less likely than getting an invitation. It's catered by the palace, so everyone will be vetted and given paperwork long before this week. They don't take on new staff just to cater the ball either. That's just how many people she's got working up there." A dejected sigh came from the small gathering. Apparently, they were going to have to find another way to get beyond the palace walls and try to find the source of the strange bell. The group discussed various options, each more risky than the last. The best bet seemed to be getting a hold of one of the summer ball invitations. The next day, they tried everything black market dealers, nobles in need of cash. They even set up watches to catch the messengers mid-delivery. But nothing worked. In the end, they needn't have tried so hard to find an invitation, because when Lillian returned home after her second evening of searching, there was one waiting for her in her room. Hello! Thank you for listening to episode 32 of Ben Luna. I have been Simon Mader. The music was by Tom Figgins. The season is almost finished. Just one episode left to go. Don't forget to tell your friends or anyone you think might enjoy it all about it as word of mouth really is the best way to get the word out. Thank you for listening all this time, for spreading the word, for leaving reviews or tweeting about it or joining the Patreon. It all means so, so much. So, for the penultimate time, I will say Season 3 of Ben Luna is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Thanks again for listening. Bye.